1 Timothy chapter 1, if you would. Tonight we're just going to have a crash course study into the book of Timothy. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Um, what's it about? Is it relevant? Is it relevant to me? That's often the biggest question in most of our minds in life about any sort of topic. Does it have personal relevance to me? 2,000 years on, is there something in this um, converted Paul the Apostle that applies to this 17, 18, 9-year-old, 19-year-old younger man? Um, does that mean anything to me sitting at 255 Pimpala Road at Woodcroft, 2019? Um, <clears throat> it's a book of personal relationships. It's a book of principles. It's a book on... Um, bettering the church when it was hugely necessary. We can look at the book of Acts. Sorry, we're not talking about Acts. We can look at the book of Timothy and look at it in its simplicity that you've got a guy um, named Paul, great guy, got converted by God, got this young fellow named Timothy, and he's just writing to Timothy to encourage him. And that's all we can sort of think about it. We sort of just skip over it. But the depth behind these books, these two books, and where they're written, and where Paul was coming from, the contention that was going on that Timothy was to face this time, the more you look into it, the more enormous it grows. It actually doesn't even start in Timothy. It starts in the middle of Acts, Acts 15, right towards the end of that chapter. There's a small group of fellows, there's two main characters in that story. Those two main characters, are one is Paul, the other is Barnabas. Those two guys, they have a little bit of a moment, a bit of a disagreement. They part ways. Paul continues his journey. The story continues in Acts 16, straight away in Acts 16. Paul meets Timothy. If it wasn't for this contentious moment, if it wasn't for this disagreement, if it wasn't for those two going their separate ways, maybe the books of Timothy may never have been. So there's two lessons out of that. One is, how do we react when life isn't as rosy as what we think, when maybe contention is there? If, if it be at all possible, live peaceably with all men, the Scriptures say. And those rare moments when something happens, when stuff happens, when life happens, and maybe there's some contention, how do we react from there? That's one. Two, do we just get on with it? And Paul, in this case, you go from the end of Acts 15 to the start of Acts 16, Paul got on with it. He reacted in a godly way. And out of a situation that would look so bleak, if you're sort of ending your reading while you're going to bed at night and you're ending it at Acts 15 all the way to the end, you go, oh, man, that's disappointing. Two men of God, active, busy, dutifully doing their work, and they've had an argument. Unbelievable. You wake up in the morning, you've got Acts 16, and God has made something amazing out of the situation that you never would have predicted in the previous chapter. He's met this young man. So these two guys meet. Paul, he's a persecutor of the church. He even refers to himself, actually, in the book of Timothy, as one the chief sinner. That's putting yourself pretty high in a pretty bad category. He's, he's persecuted the church. He's... he's he's condemned the church. He's allowed people to be put to their death, the ones that were following Jesus Christ. He, he gets converted on the road to Damascus. His whole life changes. If he was up here giving a testimony, you'd hear a pin drop in the room. It was one of those great conversions, just superb. And then he meets this young fella who's mid-late teens, and he's just Timothy. He doesn't have that massive conversion. He doesn't have that groundbreaking stuff that Paul had. 
And one of the greatest things, I was with some youngies just recently, I was just talking about how I grew up in the ways of the Lord myself, and I, I would listen to these, these stories of greatness, these heroic testimonies, and I would listen to it, and I would never, I, I was trying to describe it, that I would, I would never feel worthless. I would never feel second grade, but I would, I would just in myself, I would not feel quite as worthy as these great, tremendous stories, these Paul the Apostle conversions, these guys, you know, Paul over here condemns the church, puts people to death. I'm surrounded by these stories as I'm growing up in the ways of the Lord, by, by healed of drugs and alcoholism and immorality and, and robbing banks in Rome and getting away on speedboats and all these sort of dramatic stories. And here I am, just Pete. Just like Timothy was just Timothy. I'm just Pete. And, and I slowly started looking into the Word of God myself. I started picking up the scriptures myself. I developed a love for, um, maybe randomly, I developed a love for Ecclesiastes just because of this pure, ongoing wisdom that, that just encapsulates all of life within the book of Ecclesiastes. Maybe that's because I was lacking so much wisdom, I don't know. I started developing this love for it. I started flicking through the Gospels and looking at this character of Jesus Christ and having this great, genuine admiration for this man that people would banter his name around, around the world, around, around and I'd, I'd hear it locally. But I started developing this, just this cherished admiration for this man that we would read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, this guy that he, he was proclaimed king. He was announced king, but yet he would ride on, on the back of a donkey. In, in such humility going through Jerusalem. He would um, be found with a woman that had committed adultery. And there are these men trying to, trying to get her stoned to death because she'd broken the law. And so they're trying to pin Jesus Christ. And his reaction is the, one of the most admirable reactions there is. There he is crouching down, riding in the dirt, just silence for however long. And then he reacts by saying, whoever or ye who have committed no sin, I'm stunned to lose what exactly he said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. One by one, eldest to the youngest, they walk out. This man, Jesus Christ, there is no character quite like him, just so admirable. And then I stumbled across the book of Timothy as Paul had stumbled across Timothy in real life. And for me, for me, he was relatable. He was third generational. He was grown up in the Lord, so to speak. He, he had grandmother Lois and, and mother Eunice, if I've got that in the right order. And there, there he was. And yeah, he didn't have this smack bang conversion. Yeah, he didn't have this whiz bang. Everything happened and, and his whole world changed and his name changed and all this sort of stuff. He was just a young man that had a passion for God and a passion for the Scriptures. And whether we rate by ourselves or put ourselves in a box like I did when I was younger, I realized I'd built up these walls and these barriers in my own life and making myself less worthy. I had to start pulling them down because, as I was describing recently elsewhere, like a mother doesn't have extra love for one child over the other, or nor does a father, neither does God for his children. He loves us all, no matter what our backgrounds. It doesn't have to be traumatic. Didn't God speak to Moses in a 
in a soft, quiet voice when he called Moses. Everyone's story is different. So then Paul, the, the question is in 1 Timothy 1, the question is, does Paul just write two books, two whole books, just to encourage this young man to just go do a good job, just be a good man of God and go do your best? Or is there much more to it? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 1, <clears throat> excuse me, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Saviour and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, my own son in the faith. We're about to read about teachers and leaders that are corrupt. We'll get into that in just a sec. In a sec. But here Paul has written something which is, this is the personal relationship stuff. My own son. Timothy had his, his mother and his grandmother in the Lord. His father was following sort of religion of old. And, and Paul sees that. And in his proactiveness, he picks up Timothy as his own son, obviously not biologically, but just as his own son in the spirit. And you know when there's a good teacher or, or someone that cares for what they're doing by the way they react and the way they talk and the way they verbalize. In, in Year 9 Mass, we had a teacher and he would uh, give us our work and within about 35 seconds, he'd be walking to the front, sitting himself in the corner, in winter time, sit on the heater and gently fall asleep after about three and a half minutes, every single lesson. There was a teacher that didn't really want to be there. <laughs> We're about to read about a man that cared. He took this man, he took this younger man in and treated him as a son. It was a genuine relationship building here. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give fables, uh, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of, charity out of a pure heart and out of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. Paul's getting here. He's not this, Again, it's not just a random set of few words here. Paul's starting to have a go at some guys that are... That, there's the old law, it's called Torah. They're having arguments and disputes in the church. These guys are leaders. They are wasting their precious time with trying to get into the nitty-gritties, but not only the nitty-gritties, the nitty-gritties which are now sort of their residue, they're redundant, they're things of old, they're from the book or the law of Torah. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so through Timothy, Paul is going, remind these men what we are really here for. We are here for the Savior of the world. We are here for Jesus Christ. They can argue their lives away with endless genealogies, but there is one thing here. There is a man that came and died and lived 33 years and gave up the ghost and to give us the Holy Ghost. And that is everything. Bring these guys back to the central position. Stop their arguing. These guys are meant to be examples, leaders in the church. Go to verse 19. <clears throat> holding faith and a good conscience which some have put away concerning faith uh, have made shipwreck of whom is 
Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've delivered unto Satan, that they may learn to blaspheme. A couple of heavy verses, particularly verse 20 there, that he sort of let them go out of the church. However you say their names, by the way. He sort of let them go out of the church because they're causing this, this division. Again, these guys are arguing about things that, which are, are redundant and residue and do not matter, not in the whole scheme of things. They no longer play a part. So that you've got this strong, converted man, Paul, talking to this young fella who really... His base condition is just he's got a passion for God. And he's about to get all these lessons, serious lessons, heavy lessons, lessons where we must be reminded about going back to the simplicity of Jesus Christ. All this stuff is starting to come in, and Paul doesn't waste time into this. He just gets into it. Timothy, this is what I'm charging you for. Chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort, therefore, first of all, supplications, um, first of all, supplications, prayer, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Actually, I'll cut myself short here, just from one to seven. It's just, he's, Paul right here is just, he's suggesting to pray for peace for the, for the leaders within the church, for the officers. He's actually going the next, the next mile and he's suggesting to pray for peace for the land and the rulers of the land so that there might be peace in the land so spreading the gospel will be easier, will be made more simplified. The path of resistance will be made a lot less. Um, <clears throat> verse 9. In like manner also that women adore themselves in modest apparel with shame, shame, shamefastness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to assert authority over the man, but to be in silence, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. It, it seems that there were some women there that thought coming to, coming to church or going to uh, the meetings was maybe a bit of a fashion parade, and so they're making some other women feel a little bit, less inferior because they're they're done up in stuff that girls get done up in all that stuff and so they're creating a division maybe unwillingly maybe unknowingly but it's creating a division and paul says here let let the beauty be from within let it be here one thing we ask our our daughter is where where should you be beautiful and she knows the answer in your heart. And um, God wants male or female. He wants us to be beautiful here. And that's where it truly starts. The, it was getting out of order. It seems these same women were, were doing some teaching and stuff. And, and Paul's just tried to bring it back to some simplicity. First Timothy chapter 3. Or maybe chapter 4 actually. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused, if it is received with thanksgiving. He goes on and he, he, he actually brings it back to early in Genesis that everything that God gives is good and that there's no reason to forbid marriage, 
there's no reason to forbid meat. Um, and these people were fighting amongst themselves. And as it said in chapter one, they were just, they had this desire to be teachers, but unfortunately they were teaching the wrong stuff. It, it was irrelevant and it was redundant. And again, Paul is trying to bring it back to this simplicity that, you know what, when Jesus Christ came, he actually came with the gospel, the good news. He didn't come with these rules and restrictions and these heavy burdens and all these things, but by all means, we lead a disciplined life, by all means. But he didn't come, and he didn't come to save the world by setting rules down. And Paul's saying here, forget all that. Forget the arguing, forget the disputes. Jesus Christ came to set the captives free, to, to free them that, are, uh, that have been bruised in this life, to give them liberty, the ones that are set captive, the people that are trapped in their own lives and feel that they can't get out. Those are the people that recognize that they need Jesus Christ. Go to them, Paul is saying. 1 Timothy 5. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the older women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity. When, um, I particularly want to go down this track too much, but when I was probably around Timothy's age, um, I was 16 and a half when Dad passed away, and um, what assisted me quite a lot is is my uh, the ones around me. No one ever took Dad's place. But there were men around me as I was a young man that just gave me little things here and there, little bits of direction, advice. Um, I can still recall some of them. And those are the things, and, and encouragement, of course, and those are the things that helped me go through that time. There's the old phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. And in the Lord, I believe this is the best village there is. Camp is the best playground they've got but the people around them, this is second to none. This is quality with a capital Q. <laughs> this really is quality. And, and Paul's trying to bring this personal relationships thing in here. And even as I saw my, again, I'm not going into it too in depth, um, but as I saw my mum become a widow, reading through the book of Timothy gave me some personal guidance on how I might be able to play a part and help in that role. Um, Honour widows that are widows indeed. Uh, he goes on here, but for time's sake, we might cut it out. Um, let's go to First Timothy chapter 6. There were some younger widows. It, again, it seems there were some younger widows um, that had stopped being productive in life. And we know that while whilst the, the thought of work doesn't always seem exciting, working and serving is one of the best pleasures we can have in this life because it's actually rewarding for us. I think it's Acts 20 verse 35 that says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you know when you feel that feeling. You know you feel satisfied when you've chipped in, you've helped out, you've, you've opened up a scripture with someone else. Um, you know that moment within yourselves. And these women had, had lost that, that desire. They'd lost that desire to be serving and to be productive within the church. And instead, it, was, it talks in there in First Timothy 5, it talks about them becoming gossipy 
and and starting to spread unnecessary things. So you can you can see a picture here, in, and this is all in Ephesus, by the way. You can see a picture here that the church of Ephesus is is maybe it's not an earthquake line divide down the middle, but it sure has a lot of little areas that needs to clean up from all sorts of different angles, starting from the top, the guys that are meant to be the examples, down to situations like this. Paul, as he did, or as yeah, as he did, just bringing it back into line, bringing it all in, back into the simplicity of following Jesus Christ. Um, chapter 6, verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their masters worthy of all honour that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed, and that they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. He's just saying work together. Be harmonious with one another. Um, verse 10 talks about the love of money being the root of all evil. That's in a reference to these guys that are these teachers, the sort of bringing in money through the door, through their teachings. Um, verse 12, fight the good, fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. And then in uh, chapter 2, he likens, he likens life and the Lord when you really want to press in and do your best to these three things. He says in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, verse 2, And the things which thou hast heard from me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one ever said it was going to be easy. That is the most upsetting reminder of life, don't you think? <laughs> but it's true. So be determined never to give in. Be a soldier that will never quit. You know, when they try out for the SAS or the, the elite of the elite, whatever it is, uh, I remember watching a documentary once on this guy that seemed to, <laughs> he, he was just a level above the rest. And he seemed to just love the pain barrier. There was something about this guy that was not quite right. And they had a quit card, uh, whatever it was, I quit, piece of paper. And this guy, this guy had that piece of paper. He thought about what he was going to do. Stuck it all the way down at the bottom of his backpack underneath everything else. While everyone else didn't think about that, they just chucked it in the backpack. And guess who was quitting? All the guys that didn't think about it and just chucked it in. Be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The, the phrase that says... Um, I have decided to follow Jesus. Yes, it doesn't say everything about the salvation message. But I tell you what, that phrase alone, I was just talking with Kevin about it the other day, that phrase alone, it is the best decision one can ever make. In verse um, 5, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully, being like an athlete, the husband that laboreth must be the first partaker of the fruits, being, uh, being a hard-working farmer. Let's finish it up now. In um, I was going to finish it in Second Timothy chapter three, and just three last verses here. Like I said at the start, it's just a crash course on the books of Timothy. <clears throat> but in verse fifteen of Second Timothy three, here it just says, 
And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You know, the word salvation we can use maybe flippantly sometimes, but it's the biggest word in our vocabulary. This is a big thing. And Timothy had this advantage. Pastor Chris once spoke about being at the end of the conveyor belt. Timothy had the advantage because he was at the beginning. And Paul was giving this young man direction to have the most amazing life he could ever imagine. The most amazing life as he goes on this journey on the conveyor belt. <laughs> In verse 16, last two scriptures, all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's the scripture. That's the word of God. Our job is to put those amazing words, those inspiring words into action in our own lives. That's the crash course on Timothy. 